what you need to know about a critical part of the aircraft acquisition process. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. In an industry filled with countless obscure terms and often enigmatic acronyms, the pre-purchase inspection is refreshingly straightforward in its definition. It is what it says it is. And particularly when speaking of a transaction that may involve several millions of dollars, it simply makes good sense to have a qualified maintenance facility take a close look at an aircraft you intend to purchase before signing on the dotted line. That said, there are many aspects to a pre-purchase inspection that may not seem readily obvious, as Lori McGee, a partner at Jetstream Aviation Law, tells us. It can really vary widely depending on the business terms of the deal, but really what you're looking for is this is your opportunity to take a look at the condition of the aircraft, technical condition, and the condition of the records. And as we know, within a particular make and model of aircraft, the fair market value can really vary widely based on past use, you know, maintenance history, damage history, that kind of thing, and maybe upcoming uh, maintenance items that are coming due. Your pre-purchase inspection is really your opportunity to take a look at all of that and get a better understanding of what the aircraft looks like uh, and whether or not it matches what you think it should be in terms of the overall value. Scope for the inspection itself can really, really vary. It can be as simple as visual inspection of the aircraft, look at the records and move on, or it can be very detailed, have the aircraft go down for several weeks or months to really dig into it and, and at the same time accomplish other inspections. For more details about this process, I'm also pleased to welcome Jeff Ager, CEO of the Van Allen Group. Much like you're either buying a house or a boat or any other large asset, you want to do that due diligence and, and look at primarily the major systems. Uh, in the case of aircraft, is you know the engines, the airframe, and the way you tailor that inspection really can vary, to, as Lori said, by deal. Uh, lots of things come into play that, that are specific to aircraft makes and models, the history and the maintenance status of the aircraft. Even a function of purchase price, uh, the more you pay, uh, there might be a, an element that you would do less of an inspection or vice versa. Lori, one key question that we get a lot and we're starting to see from time to time is how the relationship between the parties can actually impact the actual inspection process and what I call friendly deals, quote unquote. Have you run into that as well? We have, yes. We've seen that oftentimes in the, the friendly deal situation, there's there's a push to do less of an inspection because there's, I guess, some trust and some built-in you know, relationship there that, that maybe makes the parties on both sides feel like less is, is more. Sometimes that works out great and sometimes it doesn't. We highly encourage those to, uh, no matter the relationship, do your due diligence on the buy side because friendly deals may not always be in the favor of either party. So it's, it's a very careful line to walk. So Jeff, given how complex an aircraft acquisition can be, is there a particular point during the transaction when the pre-purchase inspection should be performed? Yeah, there is a reason it is termed a pre-purchase inspection. Uh, what is typical and best practice is to have this conducted prior to the actual purchase and typically after the purchase agreement is executed and you've gone through and defined the work scope and you've defined the purchase price and the, and the primary terms and conditions of the transaction itself. Again, that allows you to, to, to do that due diligence and make sure that the aircraft is represented well and there's no surprises before the actual purchase is consummated. However, we are seeing different approaches to the pre-purchase inspection that I would consider more atypical. A couple of examples that would be the aircraft has gone through a recent major inspection and is now available for sale. So it could be a major C inspection, for example, or some other large uh, event. And the, the buyer is encouraged to either accept that or leverage that 
in a pre-purchase inspection process. Depending on the timing of that, that may or may not be a, a best practice, but is an approach or a previous pre-purchase inspection that the deal did not consummate. So it actually had it, it completed prior to this buyer coming on board. Again, caution to the to the buyer in that example, because we don't know what the timing of that was or how long ago it was, as well as the results of that perhaps. So something to think about. And even more atypical are inspections after closing. And we actually saw this uh, conversation occur a few times at the end of last year when you did have a push towards year-end closings and just the MRO facilities were just stacked up and unable to accommodate was the concept of completing the deal for tax purposes or for whatever benefit at the end of the calendar year and then looking at doing post-delivery inspections. We did not do any of those. I'd be curious, Lori, if that came up in any of your conversations as well. We've had a few clients that have considered that as well. And I think same conditions that you were talking about, you know, towards the end of the year, there's a push to get the deal done for tax purposes or business purposes. uh, And you simply can't find a slot somewhere to do an inspection. There's a lot of risk is my first answer to that, both on the seller and the buyer side, trying to think of doing that post-closing. Typically in a used aircraft deal, the only warranty that survives closing is the warranty of title. And so you're really going counter to that because you, you've got to open up you know, some type of remedy, essentially, if you find something during that inspection that you don't like and trying to, trying to think through all of the potential ways that you might find something you don't like and how you would address that post-closing is very difficult. And I'd say, you know, when you start walking down that path and you come to the end of, well, gosh, what if we find something that, you know, completely changes the analysis? We find damage history or, you know, just something that is would make both parties want to walk away from the deal. How could you possibly unravel the deal at that point? And that gets incredibly messy from a business and tax perspective. So I think I'm in the same boat that you were when we started talking about those types of transactions. Once we started walking through all the potential pitfalls, the decision was made not to do that. Lori, how would you recommend the pre-purchase inspection be addressed in the sales contract, given that it could be a contentious area of discussion? Ideally, you would put as much detail in there as you can. I think, you know, if you can get an actual work scope from the inspection facility, so you've you've identified who that facility is going to be, the parties have agreed on what the work scope is, you have kind of an estimate of timing, you've got language about when that's going to start, and at least an estimate of how long it's going to take, and then go from there with language about discrepancies. I think that's best. There are going to be pieces of it that you're not going to be able to define because things can change. Uh, Certainly in today's day and age, um, you've got to address force majeure and excusable delay because you may think you're putting the aircraft down for a week or two for a pre-purchase inspection and then you have some kind of a COVID impact at the facility, either staffing issues or inability to source parts. And all of those can really vary the timeline. But to the extent that you can get to the same page and have an agreement between the two parties on what you want to do and then document that and talk about how you will make other decisions as necessary, I think that's a best practice. Jeff? I think the the one key consideration that we're coming across in today's dynamic and such a fast-moving market is the ability to truly identify the inspection work scope and process at the offer stage because aircraft are coming and being under contract in such a fast manner to really do a customized work scope and define the pre-purchase inspection at the offer stage is you're almost unable to do that. 
So what we're seeing is an evolution of a, you know, kind of a mutually defined or agree work scope at the front end as they work through the major financial deal points. And then the work scope being further defined in the sales contract, which again, to, to Lori's point, can be a contentious process, but just how fast this market is moving currently. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, this message from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, the latest digital edition of your magazine is ready. Just visit nbaa.org slash insider and all the latest intel will be in your hands. We're back now with Lori McGee and Jeff Ager and our discussion about the importance of pre-purchase inspections in business aircraft transactions. Jeff, what do you recommend when it comes time to select an MRO facility to handle the pre-purchase inspection? So the first filter we'll look at when we we go through to select an inspection facility is start with an OEM or OEM authorized service center. Those MROs have the resources, they have the knowledge of the the, the airframe make and model and have seen it. They know what to look for in specific events from a buy side that can really help protect the interest of the buyer per se. So starting off with an OEM authorized service center is the first filter. Then we start looking at specifics like location. There's a home field advantage consideration for both buyer and seller. As you think about not just proximity and access to the aircraft, but even who has maintained the aircraft over the life of the ownership. The most recent MRO and service center has the advantage of knowing the aircraft. At the same time, it can be a conflict of interest because ultimately they're auditing their own work. What if they find logbook entries that are missing or or logbook entries that were inaccurate? They're in a position of actually disclosing their own misses along the way. So that becomes another consideration as you think about that as a whole. But right now, and specifically as it happened in December, is the availability really dictated ultimately where you could go. You would end up calling dozens of MRO facilities trying to find slots. And even more so now we're finding is that due to COVID and quarantine requirements is the manpower is even less. So their capability to even provide support is is diminished overall. And that also impedes the availability of getting in to see the aircraft during the process due to their COVID policies. So it's it's a difficult landscape right now in selecting the right facility. I think Jeff did a great job outlining the considerations there. And, and, you know, you kind of start from what would be the best case scenario, which I completely agree, you know, going that OEM authorized service center to the considerations of what is actually available today. Uh, I think the only thing that I would add in on that is, you know, the, the timing considerations and then the, the work product as well. What comes out of that inspection facility, the inspection report is, is typically tied back into the contract in a discussion of what constitutes a discrepancy, what may or may not be corrected by the seller. So, you know, having a good understanding of what you're going to get back from that facility, particularly if you're dealing with one that may not be a service center, you know, might be kind of one that doesn't often do pre-purchase inspections. Those are some good questions to ask up front. Let's talk about Murphy's Law a little bit. Lori, I'm sure you and Jeff have both seen examples of when a pre-purchase inspection revealed a serious issue or even several. Some of the most common issues that, that we see pop up are things that might appear to be misrepresentations up front. So some examples of that would be you've got an LOI or a purchase agreement with a specification sheet and the spec sheet lists, you know, a list of equipment or you know, certain things that are on that particular aircraft. You start looking at the aircraft and those are incorrect. Uh, and oftentimes that's an issue because you think that you're going to have, you know, two of a certain piece of equipment and you only have one, or you think you're going to have a certain version of that that's a much newer version and you have the old 
older version. And how that is dealt with is really driven by, you know, the, the purchase agreement itself and, and whether or not that specification is part of the delivery condition that has to be met or not. And so that's where, you know, making sure that you've really crafted what the business deal is between the parties in that agreement is, is going to be key. Uh, and some other things I've seen that go along with that are, you know, be careful of what is advertised out there. I've seen other instances where th- there is a list of maintenance items and inspection items, overhaul items that are coming due, and the list was inaccurate. It, it didn't match the records. And so again, you back into that, that realm of kind of misrepresentation, or at least at a minimum, the buyer feels like they've been misrepresented, even though that may have been put out there with a, you know, subject to verification. But it, it just kind of leads to a bit of a sour taste in the mouth from a buyer standpoint. So I think dealing with that on a deal by deal basis is is really how you have to go. And, and it, it also matters greatly when that comes to light. You know, if you're able to identify those things early in the process, it's it's probably less of an issue and the parties can come to some kind of an agreement, negotiate something if need be. If you don't find out about it until the very end, um, it becomes more problematic. Yeah, I would imagine the chances of rectifying the matter to everyone's satisfaction are better when they're found early in the process. But do you often see deals get unwound because of some of the scenarios that you've described? I'd say more recently than not, no, because it is such a seller's market. It does seem like the buyers can come to the table and and something can be negotiated between the two parties because there's just not a lot of options for the buyer to go out and find a replacement. However, in the past, I think it was much more likely if it was a major high dollar item, um, oftentimes buyers would walk away. Does that echo your experiences as well, Jeff? We've never seen a serious issue on any of our pre-purchase inspections. They all go very smooth. <laughs> right. I mean, what it really comes down to are those major systems, and specifically the engines tend to be the, the hottest button in that conversation when, when surprises do occur and, and create some dialogue about reevaluating the transaction as a whole. Things like FOD or, or significant corrosion on the airframe, even another example. It really comes back to the, the, the tone of, of the transaction and, and to your point on what the market conditions are, if there really are alternatives out there to consider. What we'll find is in this large example, there'll be a negotiation uh, of what that will look like. And when you take a look at things like engines, if, if there's a certain amount of work that needs to be done, that can lead to other major events. And from a buyer's perspective, you have to hedge some of that risk. And from the seller's perspective, you're trying to protect your interest as well. So it really comes down to, you know, again, the, the front end of the deal, what the price negotiated was, even the relationship between those parties, again, like we talked about. And ultimately, if, if both parties can come to a mutual agreement on, on what that looks like. And, yeah, we have seen some deals that have fallen apart because of this. And we've also seen some, some deals that have, have held on for months, even a year or more because they were committed to trying to making this deal come together, even though it was a serious issue overall. So it's very specific by each transaction. And Jeff, you and Lori have both mentioned the current market conditions with strong demand for business aircraft and the rapidly dwindling available stock out there. What additional challenges might arise when conducting a pre-purchase inspection in this environment for both buyers and sellers? I think one one item specifically that comes to mind is, is as the inventory has become so tight, it, it's pushed the U.S. buyers further and further into international markets and doing international transactions and even conducting inspections. And you think about the complexity of travel and accessibility due to the various restrictions, it creates a whole level of complexity in selecting the MRO location. You know, do you do it stateside? Do you do it overseas? How do you do it logistically? And then certainly the whole process of you know exporting, importing, and, and getting a, a C of A for, for U.S. purposes just creates a whole lot of complexity, cost, as well as time. 
international deals absolutely throw um, complexity into the, the market there. I think the other major hurdle that parties on both sides face, but per- primarily the buyers, is really the seller's ability to dictate some of the scope and, and what you're going to do with the inspection. I think, you know, in the past, like I said, you, you can have pre-purchase inspections that would you know last weeks or even months if they're tied into other longer inspections and really give that buyer the opportunity to dig into the aircraft and records. I think we're seeing more of a push now to try to limit inspections, keep them as, as short as possible. You know, as Jeff mentioned earlier, make use of inspections that have already occurred, you know, that kind of a thing. And there are risks to buyer in doing that. They may not get as full of a view of the aircraft as they maybe could have previously uh, in a much more you know, robust inspection. However, there's, there's certainly risk from a seller side too for allowing a much more robust inspection. You know, you're always going to uncover things when you open up the aircraft, uh, even if it's you know, the best maintained aircraft in the world, every time you open it, you're going to find something. It may be small that you're going to have to fix. And so there's always been a push from a seller side to try to limit it to something that is reasonable. I think we're just seeing that pendulum swing a little bit more in the seller's favor at this point. And so buyers really need to be aware of that. You know, they need to, to be thinking and understanding what they want to do up front, have a good idea of where they're going to go for that, and then come to the bargaining table with that information. Um, because as Jeff mentioned earlier, you know, the timeframes for, for negotiation have really compressed. And so the idea of, of just coming to the bargaining table with a, a purchase price and, you know, we'll, we'll work out all of the other details later, that may be gone. You may not need to have everything and may not be able to have all of the details related to the inspection ready to go from day one, but at least having an idea of of what you want to do and the minimum of what you would be acceptable to you, I think is helpful. The other thing is the limited right of rejection. The seller's really dictating the buyer's right to walk or or even when the deal goes hard on on the deposit itself. And it is just the nature of where we are right now in today's market. That's right. I've, I've seen that as well. There really are so many facets to this process, Lori. What additional advice would you have for our listeners about conducting a proper and thorough pre-purchase inspection? I think my biggest suggestion would be, you know, just make sure that if you're considering buying an aircraft, particularly if you're new to the market, you've not been in business aviation before, be sure to assemble your team before you go out to market. That means, you know, getting the right technical advisors, tax advisors, counsel, essentially everybody that's going to meet all of the needs that you would have, you know, brokers, all of that as well before you go to market. Because if you are trying to put that team together after you've identified an aircraft that you want to put a bid out on, you may just not have the time to get everything together and ready to go in order to really make sure that you're you're properly negotiating the deal, you're, you're getting that inspection that you really need, and then you understand what's coming out of that inspection and what the risks are to you going forward. I think, again, Lori hit it right on the head and kind of with the, the, the same focus of being prepared and specific to the pre-purchase inspection, if you're in a market for a specific make and model of aircraft, the more front-end due diligence you can provide yourself or be understanding about what a typical pre-purchase inspection work scope would look like. And again, get as much of that defined. What are the common problem areas? What are the Who are the MROs that are most capable in supporting that? And what are their availability? The more proactive research you can do to be ready on, on your toes can be, help you be more ready in this dynamic market that we're currently in. To help NBAA members better understand the pre-purchase inspection and other steps of the aircraft acquisition process, the NBAA Tax Committee and its Aircraft Transactions Working Group created the NBAA Aircraft Transactions Guide, available for download at nbaa.org transactions. 
And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store. Wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.